Ladies, we have a question for you. What are you doing on Friday 15th of March to Sunday the 17th of March? I'm really hoping you can join Lorraine and I for a very special weekend getaway to rest, rejuvenate and re-energise at the beautiful Samaritz Hotel on the North Cornish coast. Yes, we are kicking off our Postcards from Midlife Events programme for 2024 with this intimate and bespoke midlife retreat. It's our first ever one, which Trish and I have put together with our friends at the luxury Cornish Hotel Samaritz. One of my favourite places to stay when I'm home in Cornwall, thanks to the beautiful wild spa and gorgeous rooms and its minutes from the beach. As well as cold water swimming experiences and friendship walks with us along the beautiful coast, you'll enjoy relaxing classes and sound bathing. You'll also be inspired by our workshops, including breath work to calm the midlife nervous system and mindful cooking with local chef Emily Scott. And you'll even take part in a special podcast recording with best-selling local author Kathy Rensenbrink talking about her book, How to Feel Better. Your stay includes all of this, as well as two nights accommodation, breakfast, lunches, and a two-course evening dinner too. To find out more and book your place, just go to samaritzhotel.co.uk forward slash offers and breaks. We really hope to see you there in March. Time for a commercial break with Ramdox Health. Chris, you know we've been talking about taking on new challenges here recently. I have come up with a brilliant idea for one. Uh, does it involve swimming, as usual? No, this time it involves spandex. Oh. I have decided I'm going to get super fit and healthy and pitch Gladiators, the midlife version, oh. to telly bosses. They yes. brought back the 1990s show, which our generation loved, but it's for young contestants and I fancy giving a go of 55. Another one of your mad schemes, <laughs> uh, Gladiators, that is not the getting fit and healthy idea. That is something we're actually both doing right now anyway, and it's very much to be advised in midlife, isn't it? Exactly. And if I'm going to get into my Gladiator training or or any other kind of training for that matter, I think I'm going to have to double down on those regular female health checks, which brings me to Randox Health. They provide a range of comprehensive health checks for women at every life stage, designed to empower women with knowledge so they can take control of their health and make simple lifestyle changes that could prevent future illness. Well, that is a much more sensible idea than becoming a gladiator. <laughs> We've actually mentioned Randox Health before because their blood tests cover specific concerns, including menopause, fertility, polycystic ovarian syndrome, even ovarian reserve, breast and ovarian cancer risk, and much more as well. They also provide personalised health insights to help optimise your health and catch any potential issues early with their Every Woman Full Body MOT measuring up to 150 biomarkers in your blood relating to heart, thyroid, kidney, liver, hormone, nutritional and gut health. And their repeat testing after six months helps you to track improvements and identify further areas you might need help with. Now, if you listeners want to embark on your own health journey today, then visit randoxhealth.com. We have a discount code for our listeners. It's postcards24 and gives you 10% off on their website, randoxhealth.com. Com. Let's get you all checked out before slipping into any spandex. A little Margot update for you, Lorraine, if you can bear it. Bring me Margot updates. I love them. Margot the cat, as everybody knows. So sitting on the sofa the other day, working on my laptop, because I like to work in different spots around the house during the day, 
And she follows me round everywhere, popped on the sofa next to me and started doing her cleaning, which is obviously never, never very pleasant at the best of times. You know, leg up. It's an intimate watch, isn't it? Anyway, I started hearing all this sort of crunching noise. And you know what she was doing? She was biting her toenails. Oh, my God. She had her foot in her paws and she was crunching on her toenails. I used to be able to get my foot in my mouth and bite my toenails. And um, I did try it that night in bed and I was still able to do it. Can you believe that? Two things to unpack, isn't there? (laughs) Really, Trish, there. Margot is like Father Jack from Father Ted, isn't she? With her disgusting habits for a luxury looking cat. You wouldn't think you looked at her. No. And I'm a bit worried about you trying to get your foot in your mouth of a night time. It reminded me. That I used to bite my toenails. How disgusting is that? You see, that's where she's getting it from. She's channeling my disgusting vibes, isn't she? She is. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we are experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Big show today, my little Trish. We're going to be going from makeup to muscles via a little announcement about our new mini magazine, aren't we? Yes, we'll be mixing it up as usual and being hopefully quite useful along the way. It's been a bit of a busy week. I've been, uh, I've started my French classes, my oh, French, finally, finally, after like 40 years of regret of not doing my French A-level and 20 years gadding about Paris for work, finally, I'm going to learn some French. But anyway, you've been gallivanting with your book, haven't you? Your fabulous book. I've been gallivanting. I enjoyed my little trip to Cheltenham Literary Festival, uh, where I met some of our wonderful listeners Yay. who came up to chat to me afterwards. It was just so brilliant to meet you when we're out and about. I was hosting a panel called The Age Rage. I also met a novelist called uh, Susanna Wise, who's also an actor. She's got a great book called OK Great Then. It's really funny little gem of a book, so you might want to add that to your Christmas list. But as always happens, Trish started talking to me about her perimenopause. Yes. Um, And it was really interesting because her perimenopause was quite serious because it sparked off some quite serious autoimmune conditions. Um, And while we were waiting for the train home, it's another friend in publishing on the platform, similar tale about the perimenopause, interacting with her autoimmune issues. I think we might delve deeper into this. I know we've covered it before um, because it's all about your hormones and the fluctuations after your 40s. And we did touch on it with our Angela Barnes issue, uh, which was last November. But I think we'll uh, investigate further. Yes, I think we should. And talking of investigating... We have been finding out more about why weight training is so important for us in our midlife years. Um, So we're going to be talking about that on the show today after our special guest interview. Um, So yes, we've both got some new weightlifting routines, haven't we? So don't imagine Olympic standard in those unitards. We're not talking that. 
That's what you think when you say weightlifting, don't you? Strength training, strength training. That might be a better way of describing it. Weightlifting, though. It has been weightlifting. Yes. So uh, never thought we would be saying that. But anyway, so brave change is kind of the theme of the podcast anyway, isn't it? And um, on our amazing Facebook group this week, the private Facebook group of the same name, Postcards from Midlife, lots of posts about brain fog, obviously making us laugh. But the women have been really inspiring each other to try new things. And there was a lovely post from someone, anonymous post, I'm going to say. So she writes on uh, the 18th of September, I said, brackets, petrified, I was putting my house I've lived in for 20 years up for sale. Five days ago, I posted that I was nervous and I wouldn't get an offer on my house. And you all reassured me and gave me realistic stories about your own selling journeys. Today, nearly three weeks from making the decision of selling my house and being brave, I received an offer at the full asking price and I accepted it. I am so happy. I just wanted to say this group has made me brave to move to sell up and be a single woman doing her thing. Isn't that lovely? It really is. I think that's the thing about the group. It's a bit like you can take a breath. If you're having a bit of a crisis, you can take a breath. You can post something in your name or anonymously and you'll just get some perspective, won't you? And advice. Good advice. We had um, another member actually who had just been made redundant from a very sort of high-flying job. She got a decent payout. She felt this enormous sense of relief. But her husband was really worried about the money and wanted to, her to get back out straight away. And the group just really rallied round her and supported her. And she was so grateful for it because we know what that's like. You can't get out straight away. You've got to take a pause, haven't you? You do indeed. Yes. But yes, we've had so many guests talk about unexpected and brave changes on the show. Fabulous Raina Wynn, author of The Salt Path recently, and also coming up soon, Nina Stibby, who is um, on at the end of the month, and she's going to be telling us about why she left her home of over 20 years in Cornwall to become, as she says, a 60-year-old runaway in London. It's a really good story, so do listen in for that. And um, we're going to be hearing a bit more about managing change in midlife when we talk to our guest, the Sunday Times columnist, author and beauty guru, India Knight, who is coming on to guide us through the beauty part of midlife and identity and self-worth, isn't she? Yes, I'm excited by that. Um, she'll be chatting to us before we talk about our weight training. Weight, weightlifting. <laughs> weightlifting. Um, I'm just in awe of the women that we've had uh, on the podcast and the women that we meet around the show as well. Um, and I'm just so glad that when we meet them, we sort of absorb their advice and then we share all this guidance um, and we share all the knowledge on the show and we share it on our social media and on our Facebook and on our Instagram. And while we were doing this last week, we had a bit of a light bulb moment about it, didn't we? I think we were probably having a G&T at the time, Trish. Well, cup of tea, G&T could have been either, could have gone either way with us. But yes, it's exciting. We had a little light bulb go off above our heads and we thought, why not put all the advice, guidance, recommendations in one place, we thought. A bit like we used to do in our monthly magazines that we edited for so many, many years. So that's what we're going to do, aren't we, Lorraine? Yes, it is exciting. Brace yourselves, team. I don't know why we didn't think of this before. We are going to launch a newsletter on November the 1st. It will be called Postcards from Lorraine and Trish, and it will be packed with everything we have learned from the podcast and actually over all the decades um, of being journalists who went out there to find out things um, for women, it's going to be full of brilliant tidbits to make your day even better. 
and we will be sharing our network of experts with you too. Yes, it's a sort of magazine-style newsletter for women of all ages. There'll be behind-the-scenes snippets from the podcast, little extra audio clips. Also, uh, some uh, information about the other work we do outside of this show, all of our expert friends, and of course, our impersonal thoughts and recommendations. Agony aunts, Marion and Millie, possibly in the house. So uh, you can ask questions and we will get the right answers, the right advice from the best experts for you. That's right. And it is for women of every age. And we will be there with guidance on everything from parenting, careers, fashion, beauty, books, health, diet, absolutely everything for all of you. We can't wait to start it. We're going to launch it on something called Substack, which we will explain in great detail for you. It's a newsletter platform. You just put Substack into your Google, it will come up and you will be able to sign in and find us. But we will be sharing all of that. Um, I think we're going to let readers into our homes and families as well, aren't we, Trish? That will be the place you'll be able to see us. We are indeed. And uh, of course, the podcast will be running alongside this still during the midlife podcast. But this is just a, a nice additional thing to do. Will the cat pop up? Oh, gosh, Margot. Yes. Well, we'll be able to put a video of that that little menace nibbling her toes, won't we? Nibbling her little nails. She's getting her pedicure ready because she knows she's going to be photographed quite a lot, maybe. (laughs) She thinks she's Madonna, doesn't she? (laughs) But listen, enough of that newsletter chat. I think it's time to welcome India onto the show now. If, like Lorraine and I, and many other midlife women we know, you've hit that moment when you look in the mirror and think, who is that person with the thin lips, creepy neck, wandering eyeshadow, staring back at you? This week's special guest will help you to see yourself in a whole new light and discover a new beauty identity. Described as a beauty legend by makeup maestro Charlotte Tilbury, India Knight is possibly the most trusted beauty writer in the UK. Thanks to her highly entertaining but no-nonsense reviews and advice in her long-standing weekly column in Sunday Times Style magazine. Now she has distilled all that beauty wisdom into a new book called Indian Nights Beauty Edit, What Works When You're Older, which is filled with practical advice, skincare recommendations and the makeup products that will really make a difference for this life stage. India, who is age 57, is also a best-selling fiction author. She lives in Suffolk and is mum to three children. Oscar 31, Archie 28 and Nell 20. She joins us today to share what she's learned about how to age with, as she says, minimum fuss and a generous helping of grace, confidence and style. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife India. It's incredibly nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start because we're going to be talking a lot about beauty today. What is your beauty and makeup routine today? What did you do this morning? And what did you think when you first looked in the mirror today? That's a very good question. I live in the middle of nowhere in um, a field in East Anglia. And so I actually tend not to put makeup on most days. And I feel quite, which is a funny thing to say, given that I write so much about it. I, I like wearing very little makeup or no makeup. That I think makeup is very seductive. And I think there's a danger in sort of dressing up your face in a way that in midlife isn't always a good idea for a number of reasons. So my routine this morning was to wash my face with a damp flannel and no product. 
was to put on um, sunscreen rather optimistically because it feels like the first day of winter and to put on uh, a brilliant product called BB cream by a Korean French mate called Arborian, which is kind of like a little bit, little bit more than a tinted moisturizer, just kind of evens everything out. And I always put my eyebrows on and that's it. <laughs> and when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, what do you see? I have a very small round shaving mirror. I don't have like a proper big mirror. I do have an illuminated magnifying mirror somewhere in the house. And whenever I look into that mirror, I just feel wave upon wave of despair because it's really brutal. It's magnifying times 10. On the other hand, if you look good in the magnifying mirror, you're fine. Everything's fine. I don't really look at my face for ages unless I'm going to a function or putting on a lot of makeup or kind of getting dressed up. I think, you know, by this late stage, I'm used to my face, although the version of my face in my head doesn't correspond to the version of my face in the mirror. It's about 30, maybe 40 years younger. I accept what I look like. I'm not, it doesn't kind of stress me out or make me anxious or, you know. Until very recently, I felt that women in midlife are pretty much invisible culturally or they'd kind of somehow disappeared. I think Gen X is maybe changing the narrative. Um, and in our private Facebook group, lots of women tell us they feel invisible as they get to this stage of life. How have you felt about your midlife years? And I'd love you to share a bit of thinking behind your beauty mantra, which is finding the best version of us as we age. I feel pretty good about ageing. I don't know about feeling invisible. Whenever people say it, and people do say it, a lot of my friends say it as well, I always think, but invisible to who? Invisible to a 23-year-old waiter, sure, but I don't mind if I'm invisible to somebody younger than my children. I'm not interested in being particularly visible to people who are much younger than me. I don't feel I'm invisible to people who are roughly my age, give or take five years in each direction. I think that people feeling invisible is often more about that feeling, about the feeling, because that because you it's very easy to become discombobulated and kind of uncomfortable with your role in the world as an older woman and what you should be looking like and what you should be doing and what you should have achieved. You know, it's very easy to have been quite a kind of solidly built person, I mean, emotionally solidly built, with all the kind of blocks in place, you know, work, family, friends, hobbies, whatever. And for, you know, children leave home, people retire, all that, that all kind of can cave in a bit on itself. So I don't know about literally feeling, feeling invisible, but I think we become in a way, if it doesn't sound too woo-woo, we become slightly invisible to ourselves. It's easy to become invisible to yourself for a period until you find yourself again and then, then everything's marvellous. I really like the ageing process. I'm really happy to be the age I am. I don't seek to appear or, you know, make myself in any way younger. I'm not panicked about it. Although, I, as I say, I live in a field. And I, so I'm, I'm, I'm never in situations anymore where I compare myself with a room full of women my age. That doesn't happen very often. But sort of generally, when I lived in London, I saw women my age in sort of large gaggles all the time. Um, and I don't do that anymore. And if you don't do that, that might make it easier. I don't know. But I am... Resigned is the wrong word. I am occupying my 57, nearly 58-year-old space very comfortably and I feel comfortable in it and I like it. Now, makeup. We'll start the beauty chat, I think, with makeup because it's a lot of fun. But I think unless you're a, a real makeup junkie who likes to experiment and you're really good with brushes, chances are you found a default look in your 
late teens, 20s, and you stuck with it. But then as we change, our faces change um, into the aging process, we probably need to make some changes. Did you have a go-to look? And when did you realise maybe or think, actually, I need to change this up? My go-to look from the age of about 15, I would say, was flicky black eyeliner and red lipstick. And my eyes are now, I mean, I can just about, if I'm very, very careful, but my eyes are basically too crepey and too hooded for flicky eyeliner. You can kind of cheat it, but, you know, that feels a bit sad. When I stopped smoking, I don't know, 13 years ago now or something, really long time ago, all my teeth went wrong. It turned out that the trauma of nicotine and God knows what else keep your gums really, really tight. My teeth are wonky and I'm in a long-term relationship with a dentist Eventually, my teeth will be fine, but I don't want to emphasize my mouth with red lipstick anymore. So the two things that I really, really relied on are not really available to me. Although I still think a bare face with very red lipstick is, looks lovely, especially if you don't smile and show your wonky teeth. <laughs> but the liner thing is completely gone. So my look has changed from being quite an obviously made up look, quite artificial, you know, cat's eye liner and very red lip, to much more kind of subdued and muted and softer, I think. Much less graphic is what I'm trying to say, much less graphic. So we had the lovely Sally Hughes on the show. I know you're a friend uh, of Sally's. And she made a really good recommendation for ageing and makeup. And she said, you want to go for the glow. So that bit of gloss and a bit of um, shimmer, creamy foundations. Is that something you agree with? Is that how you work? And also our generation, we, we come from the matte era. So it's counterintuitive anyway. I broadly agree with that. I don't agree with it entirely. I think Sally's about 10 years younger. I think it's very easy for women our age to look. I think glow is beautiful on a 22-year-old. It looks amazing because they have the skin, they have skin that can take glow because their skin is peachy and plump and well moisturized and looks delicious like a peach. Not every woman in her 50s looks <laughs> yeah. delicious like a peach. First of all, glow is very difficult to apply. But also putting glow on skin that might look a bit caved in, that might be very dehydrated, that might have kind of postmenopausal issues with sensitivity, dryness, itchiness, whatever. You don't want to go shoving a load of gloss on something a bit withered, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so... If you have lovely peachy skin and you're all plump and luscious... The more lucky then, yes. That's great. If you are somewhere in the middle, um, if you're more like a sort of slightly old apple rather than a peach, then um, be very careful with glow. I'm a big believer in luminizer, which is not quite the same thing. Oh, luminizer, yeah. It's more diffuse and easier to put on, but it gives that same effect of having more radiant skin than you have. I think you have to be a bit careful. And I also think that too much glow can just make you look like you fell in a pan of chip fat. Yeah. And there's a kind of thin line between looking glowy and looking mysteriously sweaty. <laughs> Which has happened to us all, hasn't it? Yes. Easily done. Easily done. So how would you, India, advise any of our listeners who are in this situation? Your face has changed. You know, for me, for example, I can't wear lipstick anymore because my lips have gone. I've lost all the volume in my lips. Where do you start? No, but I can see you with a red lip. Oh, you can. Oh, thank you. Everybody feels like their lips are too thin. Literally everybody. It's a universal problem. Everybody over the age of 40, maybe even 40, 35, thinks they've got a tiny little slit for a mouth and all the plumpness of their lips has gone. And it's true. Your lips do de-plump as you age. But A, it's very, very easy to cheat it. 
by just overlining a tiny, 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 tiny bit, not a big 90s overline, but like a tiny overline with a liner that matches your lipstick exactly. Or, you know, never mind if your lips are a little bit thinner than they used to be. I just think life is too short to be in a flap about your lips. And um, that doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> but anyway, you know, neutral colours are very easy to wear, no matter how extreme the loss of volume. Where do you begin to kind of, you know, do you look at your face and think, right, OK, it's not about the lips anymore. It's about the eyes or, or what, what would you advise? Yeah, you can shift the emphasis to another bit of you. And you can also shift the emphasis to accessories. You know, a really kind of great pair of earrings goes a long way distracting from bits that you don't want people to particularly focus on I think the thing to do is to metaphorically throw away your existing makeup bag and look at yourself properly look at yourself I don't think that women do properly look at themselves I think you have an image of what you look like and you sort of go with it and that image doesn't really often that image is very distorted so you may you may look in the mirror and see a kind of withered crone which you're not, nobody is, or you may look in the, you know, it's, it's so easy to kind of hone in on the bits that aren't as they were and the bits that have drooped and the bits that have sagged. If you just look at yourself with a kind of completely clear and um, candid eye and say, okay, I don't like my lips so much anymore, for example. Droopy eyes, I've got the droopy eyes, yeah. Droopy eyes, the whole thing. But like, look at yourself really freshly and then kind of almost like a drawing start looking at the things that you can correct so for example I'm obsessed with brows because I think brows I think without done brows your features kind of float around they sort of float around unanchored so often starting with a brow which is really easy you get a brow pencil or some brow gel and you draw your brows in and if you don't like them you take it off and you try again until you find a shape you like but I think brows kind of frame everything very usefully and then you can take it from that. And I also believe really, really strongly that the older you get, the less makeup you need. Better makeup, but less of it. Yeah, so you're refilling your bag with less things, aren't you? Your your makeup bag. Are there any tutorials that you would recommend? So my daughters spend their life watching tutorials and I just think, what? Well, how the hell do you work out which ones are good ones and which are bad? But if you're a midlife woman, I know there's a lot of this on YouTube, where would we go in your uh, for your advice, wise India? I get lost in them as well. I just sort of disappear, you know, and then I think, goodness sake, I'm not 16. What am I doing? <laughs> Lisa Eldridge is a brilliant makeup artist. Yeah. She's very good. And she will show you how to do a very specific thing. And she'll do it very beautifully. She's not, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying she's not, you know, 20 years old. Um, and she's really reliable and she really, really knows her onions. But otherwise, I think, because I get lost at looking at them on TikTok, where I'm always stunned by the amount of makeup these very young women wear. It's like, you're lovely, your skin is peachy, don't like spackle it in five layers of things. But anyway, they do have a kind of hypnotic quality. I think it's fine to look at them to learn a technique, but I think it's a bit like looking at right move all the time. You know, I think eventually, eventually it instills a kind of dissatisfaction, you know, why don't I look like that? Why doesn't it look like that on me? Why can she put it on really easily and I find it difficult? Why, 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 why? And you don't put your phone down feeling enlightened or empowered in any way. You just feel sort of obscurely dissatisfied. Like when you look at every single house for sale in Cornwall. Would you go to a beauty counter? Is that helpful, do you think? Yes, I think it's super helpful. And it's sad that big department stores are struggling, most of them, because a beauty counter remains a brilliant place 
to be shown how to do something on your own face with the person standing right there. And then, you know, you can try it and they can correct you and they can go not like that, like this. And they're, they're really, really useful. I think the fact that so many of us buy makeup online, it's massively convenient, but actually you lose that sort of human thing of somebody saying this pencil would look amazing on you and I would put it on like this, which is really great. Now, there are a gazillion products out there. I mean, there are so many that are long-standingly brilliant, but then there's new ones all the time. So having a trusted voice like yours is is really important because they're expensive. You know, it could be really expensive too. How on earth do you edit the products to find the ones that you really like? I get sent a ludicrous amount of samples, obscene actually, and obviously... There are uh, 52 weeks in the year. I have six weeks off. So, you know, it's 40 odd products that I write up. I never write up anything I don't like because it seems like a waste of time because why not recommend something enthusiastically then go, it's crap, don't bother. So I only recommend things that I like. And the answer is I, I have a few, a very few trusted PRs who know my taste. And so if they say, I really think you like this, I will try it because I trust them. Um, I have a few, very few brands that I am particularly loyal to because I think they very rarely have a duff product. And of the new brands, I kind of go on the way they look. I, I try the ones I like the look of. And also very often the way they feel. So I'll squeeze something out or scribble something on my hand. And if I, I think texture is really, really important and really kind of underwritten about particularly when you're older, actually, because it makes such a difference. You know, you don't want to be scraping away at your eyelid with a thing, or you don't want a foundation that doesn't immediately kind of blend beautifully. So I do it like that. It's a bit random. I mean, I try out a lot more stuff, obviously, than I write about. And there's no such thing as really atrocious make. I mean, no, there are... At, at the cheaper end of things, you know, if, it's, if, you, if you're after a bog-standard moisturiser or an eyeshadow... You know, there's there's no atrocious moisturizer. There's no atrocious eyeshadow. It's the kind of the serums and the thing, all the things that do complicated things where you by and large, not always, usually get what you pay for. But, you know, even things like mascara, an inexpensive mascara is often just as good, if not better, as an expensive one. So, so much is hidden behind packaging or very often you're paying for the concept or the design or the weight of the jar you know rather than the stuff inside it so I try and be fair in my head about those sorts of things. Yeah and you have years of knowledge as well don't you context and comparison. What about the changing way brands have approached uh, black and brown skins more diverse skin colours skin tones skin conditions are they doing enough I mean obviously Fenty Rihanna was the kind of breakthrough brand on that what what are they doing enough? Could brands be doing more? I couldn't buy foundation. I have. I don't have a complicated skin colour. And I couldn't buy foundation to match my skin tone until I was in my mid to late 20s. That was a make called Prescriptives, no longer with us. And I first came across it in New York and bought it in New York. Couldn't believe it. You know, I'd spent all my teenage years. I don't know why I felt, again, I don't know why I felt I had to wear foundation. I had pretty decent skin. But, you know, looking sort of wearing white face, basically. It was, you know, because I I was determined to wear foundation. All my friends wore foundation. So I wore this crazy foundation that made me look grey. So obviously things are much better. Obviously it's fantastic and it's amazing that I can go into boots and find foundation that will match my skin colour. 
I think that there have been great improvements. I think there are improvements still to go. I think there are certain brands that are still kind of paying lip service to the idea, you know. So if you're my sort of colour or maybe a bit darker, you're broadly all right. If you're kind of light brown, olivey, you're fine. If you're sort of medium black, you're probably fine. If you're very dark, you're probably not fine. There are exceptions and there are very good, you know, there are brands that are good at it. But there are a lot of brands where you look at their shade range and you think, oh, that's fine. That's really dark. That's great. But actually, it's not. It doesn't work. But, you know, hurrah for the improvements, which have been considerable. And it is, as far as I can see, completely down to Rihanna, which is amazing. Now, your book does actually start with skincare. And you say that skincare is everything. And you, you've touched earlier a bit about different skin textures and, and the effect of, of makeup on that. But, you know, skin does change at this life stage. You might suddenly find you have rosacea or acne for the first time. Or sun damage becomes more visible. What is your advice around that and, and adapting your skincare or rethinking your skincare at this life stage? It's the same thing as with makeup. It's a question of looking at yourself really kind of calmly in the mirror and going, oh, OK, I seem to have four brown spots over here that I wasn't quite aware of. Oh, and this bit of me feels a bit scaly and dry. And oh, this bit feels slightly oily. You know, reevaluate everything. Don't necessarily assume that you can fix everything with one product although increasingly you can. And for heaven's sake, buy the product that is right for your skin. Don't buy the product that I've raved about or somebody else has raved about because you like the sound of it. It's absolutely got to work for you. I think older women are really good at knowing in life what works for them, what they will and won't engage with and what they do and don't care about. And you have to apply the same thing to your skincare, which is everything, because no matter how fabulous your makeup, if your skin is crap, looks crap or feels crap or is uncomfortable to be in, then nothing's going to work. So it's really, really important. And it's also really important not to be, this is where the beauty hall is less helpful, actually. It's really important not to be sort of forced, as I think lots of us are or have been, forced into buying a really expensive thing that isn't quite right and doesn't, you know, because the lady at the flash counter is giving away samples and because she flatters you and says, oh, look at the difference already, et cetera, et cetera. I always say, get the samples, take them home, try them for a proper period of time, meaning at least two weeks. This is if the product is very expensive and special. And then go back and get it. If you can see a difference, you should be able to see a difference. The fact that your, it makes your skin feel nice is not enough. You know, there are really technologies advanced massively. There are products that work really hard now and that actually deliver visible results and at this point I want visible results rather than you know some cozy that smells of roses it's not enough or that everyone else is talking about on Instagram as if all skincare fitted everybody which it simply doesn't what about my neck what's about my crepey neck um I mean I'm not bothered about it but I we do get asked a lot is it surgery? What's the thing you think we should be thinking about if we're bothered about it? Polar nexus, I think what we should be thinking about. I think we should be thinking about polar nex. I mean, I don't love my neck. Does anybody love their neck? No. So already that's quite reassuring and that's quite a kind of, you know, unifying thought. No, you can do a little teeny weeny bit about your neck. Really with necks, what you need to do is tell your daughters to start with neck care when they're like 25. Eyes and necks, I never paid any attention to at all. Maybe sort of took my moisturiser down a bit more. There are a couple of pretty impressive neck creams that I mention in the book. It depends how advanced your neck situation is. 
but otherwise, yeah, surgical intervention, which feels extreme to me. I'd rather just be annoyed with my neck. Yeah, get some nice cashmere. Exactly. You say in the book that you love the effect of Botox and fillers. You've tried those, both of those. What has it done for you and what advice would you have for anybody who's maybe thinking about dipping a toe in the water? I say in the book that I had them again when I was writing the book for the first time in seven years. Um, I had had them fairly regularly before and then I stopped and then I kind of, you know, it was fine not having them. I didn't feel it made an enormous difference. I feel very ambivalent about them because I really believe in ageing naturally. You know, there's a version of me that's wearing utility wear. There's a version of me that's wearing dungarees and Birkenstocks and has grey hair and no makeup and has got a chicken under her arm and is pottering about happy as a clam, completely untroubled by vanity of any kind. And actually that version of me does occasionally exist. And then there's another version going, come on, why would you walk around with your massive frown line? I spend my whole time trying to kind of reconcile the two. And I am more on the side of the dungarees with the chicken than on the perfectly smooth, glossy, it's hard to tell how old I am side. Having said that, I went to see the doctor, imagining that he would say, oh, but you're so smooth, you need nothing. <laughs> you know, I've got a fat face, which really, really helps. And he said, not too bad. You know, he didn't. I was expecting a kind of standing ovation. Oh, my God, what do you do? You look amazing. Your skin <laughs> Metal. Yeah. Nothing at all. And I did have a big front line and I don't have it anymore. And I am happier with it filled in. I can move my eyebrows because it's very tiny, tiny Botox. I feel ambivalent about it. I don't like the way sometimes you go into a room and all the women have a very smooth forehead and a slightly sort of, you know, everybody thinks that they'll know when it's too much, when they've gone too far. And everybody thinks somebody will tell them. But actually, it's very difficult to say to somebody, you're starting to look really weird because you should maybe like, off. you know, you can't say that. It's really rude. So people do start looking a bit peculiar quite often. I don't know. My advice is do it, but be aware that it's addictive. Be aware that it's so effective that you think, oh, what else can I do? And then that's a really slippery slope. And you also say only ever replace what used to be there. Don't seek to replace what never existed, right? So important. So important. So don't start thinking age 60, I wonder what I'd look like with a massive mouth. You know, just don't go there. I'm not doing that with the thin lips. Don't worry. <laughs> now, you wrote way ahead of the curve. You wrote in 2014 a book called In Your Prime, Older, Wiser, Happier. And you did talk about menopause and you described your menopause as uh, no big deal. We talk about it all the time on the show. Everyone experiences it differently. And we know young women are coming into or younger women are coming through and they now know a lot, a lot of headlines all over the place about it now. What are your feelings on it? And what is your advice for the women coming through who are about to head into perimenopause and those in it now? I think information is fantastic. I think having all the information at your fingertips is a gift to womankind. And it's absolutely great. You know, in my generation, these things weren't really discussed. You know, we sort of laughed actually laughed at women having hot flushes i'd never heard the word perimenopause till i was 47 and thought it would never happen to us and it was so far away and it was so grim and that it was a kind of great withering that really happened to very old people so i think all of the information out there is great i also think it's quite frightening because it is possible i mean i, I have no idea 
how common or un uncommon it is, but I did genuinely not notice that my menopause was happening until it had happened. Until one day I thought, oh, I've had a period for ages. Let me count how many months it is, you know. So I would like to say to, to, to younger women coming up to it that you're not it's not necessarily going to be awful. You're not necessarily going to feel bonkers. Your physical symptoms might be so bearable that you don't notice them. This is also possible. I, I expect it's probably slightly less common than, you know, going a bit doolally and not feeling great. But it is possible. So the only thing that slightly worries me about the kind of flow of information that everybody now has access to, which is great, is that it's quite frightening. I think I think women shouldn't dread the next stage of their lives. And I think having dread there somewhere quite close in the future is an alarming thing. So I think, you know, there's no need to kind of panic in advance about how terrible it's going to be, because sometimes it isn't terrible at all. It's so unterrible that you wake up one morning and go, oh, I haven't had a period for two years. One of the things that may or may not be a side effect of menopause, because we hear so much about this and we feel this ourselves, is our just tolerance to alcohol goes out the window, doesn't agree with us anymore. And we just really need to sort of rethink our relationship with alcohol, really. Now, you, you've given up drinking, haven't you? Was there a specific moment that you decided to stop? And, and do you miss it? Because I think a lot of the problem is that people worry about being in social situations and, you know, not feeling comfortable ordering a soft drink. It's kind of tied to our identity as well, isn't it? Yeah. For me, it was a gradual thing that was in sort of little increments and then happened very fast. So I wasn't happy with my consumption. I wasn't unhappy. Well, no, I was a bit unhappy with my consumption at that point. You know, I didn't feel comfortable. Whenever I saw a headline about the numbers of units women are supposed to drink a week and so on, I would sort of, I wouldn't read the piece and I'd turn the page. I felt sort of uncomfortable. I never had a problem with alcohol. I should just make that clear because being an alcoholic is a really hard difficult thing to deal with and that wasn't me and I don't wish to speak for anybody in that situation my hangovers were worse as you say they lasted I mean it felt like they lasted for days I'm sure they didn't but you know I just felt really ropey I hated waking up with a sort of slightly fuzzy head and I've had a lot of therapy and I think therapy kind of gives shakes you up this is over a period of years and years and years shakes you up and then lets all the pieces of you rearrange themselves. And I think somewhere in that process, a piece of me that had to do with my relationship with alcohol unkinked itself and landed the right way up. And so it was in my head. Then I, I wrote a piece about this on my Substack. Then I, then I read an article, pretty sure it was to do with sex and violence and young women, how sex has become more violent for young women. And in the piece, the author said, think back to your child self, to like the most sweet, happy, jaunty, unafraid version of yourself when you were little. And now imagine having a conversation with that child version of you and telling her all about her future and what's going to happen to her in her life and reassuring her that you'll always look after her and you'll always have her back. And this really stuck in my head because I thought, actually, I haven't always had my own back at all. I've done incredibly stupid things. I've been careless with myself. And it then occurred to me that all of the times I'd been careless with myself involved alcohol, every single one. But then I thought, OK, there must be really good things that have happened as a result of a drunken night out. So let's make a list of those. And my, I, there wasn't anything. All I remembered was that bad decisions, dangerous situations, waking up feeling sort of 
embarrassed and cringy. You know, there was nothing good. And then I thought back again to when I was a teenager, when I started drinking, I drank because I was really insecure and I wanted to appear more socially confident. And I wanted to be able to walk into a room and go, ta-da, not sort of creep in shyly and not know what to say. And then I thought, okay, that's totally fair enough. But A, I'm 57 now. B, I am reasonably confident. C, I've had enough therapy to know that I am enough and I don't have to make everybody happy all the time. And I don't have to long for everybody to like me. And then I thought, hmm, I'll just see what happens if I don't have a drink for the rest of the week. And that was either three or four years ago. I can't remember. Uh, Somebody asked on the Facebook group the other day that they just didn't want to do it anymore, but they just couldn't work out how to tell their friends and they were going through their diary and they were looking at things thinking, well, I have to have a drink for that because it's so complicated to tell everyone I'm not having a drink. I've never, well, I wrote about it the other day, but other than that, I've never kind of made an announcement. I find that there are lots of really good, genuinely delicious, non-alcoholic things that you can drink in bars or in pubs. And also young people don't drink, you know, Gen Z hardly drinks. And my kids who are what are they? They're millennials, I guess. They're 30, 28, and the youngest is 20. The older two don't really drink either. Neither do their, neither do their friends, neither do their partners. So it's got a lot easier. You're not going to be sort of sitting there self-consciously nursing a water or some, a, you know, a bottle of soda. You can order delicious, even enviable drinks in public places. The only thing to do, I think, with socialising is that being surrounded by people who are drunk when you are sober is only fun up to a point and you do tend to go home a bit earlier you know I love my bed I don't mind I don't care I'm really happy to be in bed by 10 o'clock it's just bliss. So you mentioned your Substack newsletter there it's called Home you say it's all about your life enhancers tell us about Substack for our listeners and what you think is so great about it and, and why you're there. I'm really interested in Substack. I slightly think it might be the sort of the future of newspapers. Um, I'm there because I wrote a food column for the Sunday Times magazine. It got the boot. A new magazine editor came in. He didn't like it. He got rid of it, which was absolutely, you know, fine. Up to him. He was the editor. But I liked writing that column and I knew it had an audience. So I thought, well, I'll just make a Substack. I'd been wanting, I'd been thinking about making a Substack for years and years and years, but because of my contract with the Sunday Times, I couldn't. The things I wanted about to write about, I was contracted to write elsewhere. So I renegotiated my contract with the Sunday Times so that I could write my Substack. And it's about, yeah, it's about life enhancers. It's about, I'm, I'm really interested in kind of domestic comforts. I'm not interested in domestic drudgery, but I'm interested in candles that don't burn down in five minutes or a, a comfortable sofa or a nice blanket or a delicious recipe or a paint color or something to read or something to listen to or a podcast recommendation so it's all about all of those things because I think the world is so grim at the moment particularly the world is just, it's sort of you know one can hardly bear to listen to the news and I think things that cheer you up are worth chatting about that's why we do this waffly podcast yeah, it's great. It's great. And it gives you a sense of community and of speaking to like-minded people. And and it gives you the sense that most people are pretty decent and it's going to be all right. It'll be all right, probably. So finally, congratulations are in order because your most recent novel, Darling, has been shortlisted, hasn't it, for the Bollinger Everyman Woodhouse Prize for Comic Writing. I should be cool about it, but I am, in fact, extremely happy and excited. I'm sure you are. 
For any listeners who haven't read the book or heard about it, just quickly tell us what it's about. And um, what are you going to do with the prize? Is it a pig? Do you know, it used to be a pig. They used to give you a pig because of P.G. Woodhouse's Empress of Blandings, who was a magnificent sow. They used to give you a pig. And I was nominated for it years, 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 years ago uh, for my first novel, I think. And DBC Pierre had written a book called Vernon Godlittle, which was up in contention for it. And he and I were photographed in Hay on Y with this really, ma- I mean, I'd never, I'd never met a sow, I don't think, as an adult until then. Huge pig. Um, and I thought, oh, well, I live in Hackney. I can't, what, what, what will I do with the pig? That's not going to work. So he was, so I was happy. But now I live in the country and I could easily have a pig. The book, the book is, I was contacted by Nancy Mitford's estate and asked if I wanted to write an updated version of The Pursuit of Love which was an offer so insanely thrilling and flattering that, of course, I said yes. Um, And it took me a really long time, actually, because it was really, really, really hard. It was really hard. It was so hard to write. I'm really, it's my favourite book of mine, and I'm very happy with it. And it's very nice to have it recognised in this way. So the story is the same story as The Pursuit of Love. It's about Linda, who in the original is the kind of daughter of of aristocrats. In my version is the daughter of an ageing rock star. And it's about her pursuit of love Um, and it's funny and it's about family and relationships and men and what you think you want and what you get and notions of happiness and so on and so forth. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, so it's darling if anyone wants to put that on their Christmas list. Well, have um, our fingers crossed for you. So thank you so much for joining us today, India. And it's worth just saying to everybody, we do have a copy of your book, your uh, beauty book, to give away on our Facebook group. Oh, that's exciting. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Let's get physical, physical, so on physique. Physique. I'm going to be doing my singing in French now, Lorraine. I'm going to like that, aren't you? Closer and closer to the edge of madness. Yes, oh. it's time, team. We have reached How to Win at Midlife and we want to hear your body talk, body talk. Do you see what I did there? I linked it to the singing. See? Well done. See, as Olivia Newton-John once sang. Anyway, loyal listeners, you will know that young Trish here was once shot put champion in her school in the manner of Jeff Capes. But obviously, to look at her today, you may think her tiny little arms can't lift anything more weighty than that morning cuppa she quaffs. But you would actually be wrong, because both Trish and I have switched up our exercise routines recently, and we are pumping iron, aren't we, Trish? I think it might be hard to imagine us doing anything more strenuous than sort of titting about in our dressing gowns, which you've all seen the videos of. But in reality... We have taken the advice of the midlife experts we interview and started regular strength training with weights. We have. I have to say it's made a huge difference to my sticky hip. My sticky hip, I'll tell you about that later. It's probably important to to explain that the reason we're strengthening our bodies rather than opting for just cardio exercise or a lot of yoga and swimming to keep fit is because we know that we lose about one quarter of a kilo of muscle mass every year after the age of 40. And yet a survey found last year that 50% of women over 45 don't strength train. And it's important that we do that, though, because strong muscles keep us stable. They prevent us heading towards the dreaded fall. The dreaded fall, about yes. the fall. 
which we may joke about, but it is a serious risk uh, for women as they age. Yes, I'm going to put my uh, newsreader glasses on now and get all serious because I do want to reiterate the facts about the life-saving need for strength training for women. So you've got 600 muscles in your body, Trish, even you. You will lose 3 to 8% muscle mass per decade after you hit 30 and then you lose even more when you turn 60. So your muscles keep you flexible and they maintain the healthy movement of your joints, which stops you having the fall. Also know that oestrogen protects bone density in women. So as we age and hit the perimenopause in our mid to late 40s, our oestrogen decreases. So bone density decreases and it decreases quite rapidly for women. It puts us at greater risk of osteoporosis and strength training is crucial for optimising bone health. Osteoporosis means your bones are more susceptible to breaks. So one in two women worldwide over 50 who don't take HRT will develop osteoporosis. It's one in five for men. So you have to pick up those weights, listeners, whether it is your thing or not. So what are you doing, Trish? And what a difference has it made to your super body? Well, I have been doing some called strength training using weights, kettlebells. I have this really amazing app called Fit, F-I-I-T. It costs about £120 for the year, but I use it at least twice a week. So I think it's really good value. And they have hundreds and hundreds of classes on there. So what I've really noticed though is how it doesn't take long to be able to increase the weights you're lifting. And that is amazing because you start thinking, oh gosh, two kilos on in each hand, you know, I'm never going to get past that. And then within a couple of months, I'm on three and then I'm on four. So that's really good for me. So I'm doing that. I'm doing my walk active, as we know, Joanne Hall. And then after I've done my walk active, I pick up some weights and do a little bit of upper body and lower body. Um, yeah. So between that, reformer Pilates and then the odd uh, little cardio session, which you know what they call cardio these days, the young people, it's called Metcon metabolic conditioning so that is just about getting your heart rate out of breath yeah a little bit out of breath but that's only like maybe once a week every other week I do that has it made you feel more stable and stronger oh my goodness well you know I've been complaining about my hip for about a year I know goodness me it's been boring for me but yes (laughs) strength training and I kept thinking I'm stretching it stretching it that's going to be really good for it and then I kind of worked out that maybe that was part of the problem and actually I Dropped a yoga class and uh, swapped it with a strength, another strength class. Oh my God, it's made the world yeah. of difference. And that's because obviously those muscles surrounding the joints, they really play a part in reducing joint pain and strengthening, of course, a lot of perimeno symptoms, joint pain. So it seems a bit counterintuitive, I think, maybe to think about weights and joint pain, but it, it does work. It is really good. And I've been talking to an expert about it, which I'll go into in a minute. And she gave, she gave some very specific advice, which you could all take away. And really, you have to start tomorrow, basically. Um, I've been weight training because of issues with my knee. Again, same thing, thinking what I need to do is strengthen the muscles around the knee because I want to keep my knee joints working properly as I age. Um, I've been doing it with a friend. That has helped me go because normally I wouldn't go indoors with a gym and I've been very lucky I found a gym near my Lido because obviously I hate gyms and I get overcome in a gym so I've taken a friend with me and our personal trainer is actually a former dancer and she did a really good questionnaire when I joined on where I was I'm 10 years older than the person I'm going with and whether it's taking HRT you you must make sure before you do anything like this that if you're going to do it in a class you're going to do it with a trainer that you do fill in this questionnaire I've been doing it four weeks and it has made such a difference. I feel so much more stable. 
Oh, really? To your knees? Yeah, amazing. To my knees, I'm no longer in pain. Because your knees kind of go in a bit, don't they? You've seen it. I've yeah, seen them, seen yes. It, yeah, no, I, I'm no longer in pain when I do uh, squats and things like Things I couldn't do four weeks ago. That's the point, isn't it? You you seem to progress quite quickly when you add weights in. you still got to do cardio and things, which I will come to. So there is a new phrase, though, Trish. They're saying that lifting is the new running for women over 40. Oh, very good. I interviewed Jacqueline Hooten um, to find out more about strength training. She's phenomenally experienced as a fitness expert. She is 60 herself and she trains women in her 50s, 60s and 70s. She's a former female figure athlete. You must have a look at the picture. Ooh, you know, okay. the bo- like a bodybuilder. She looks amazing. Her ethos is making exercise or movement um, part of your everyday routine and you start small so you don't get overwhelmed. You don't think, I've got, oh my God, I've got to do an hour of weight training. You don't start facing that. You start with stuff you can embed into your day. She has an Instagram account called Her Garden Gym, which is really, really brilliant. It's all about keeping midlife women fit and active. So really drop in on that. And her attitude is so far away from that go hard or go home attitude. It means that you will go into something wanting to do it as opposed to dreading it. And the chief medical officer recommends that we take 150 minutes of exercise a week. Sounds like a lot, but when you actually divide that across the week, it's 20 minutes a day, isn't it? It's not a lot really. But how much of that does Jacqueline think we need for strength training? And if you don't think it's for you, like weightlifting, etc., is there something else you can do to strengthen your bones instead? Well, Trish, that's the interesting thing here. The answer to that is no. Oh, okay. This is what you have to do to keep a range of movement, promote bone strength and retain that all important lean muscle, which we must do as we age because it decreases so rapidly. Yeah. We have to weight train, according to Jacqueline. For the whole 150 minutes? No, no, no. I'm coming to that. I'm coming coming to that. Brace yourself. Patience. Bracing. Bracing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You have to put tension on the muscle strong tension on the muscle it has to be more tension so working with heavier things than you would normally lift that's what strengthens the muscles it breaks it down it rebuilds that's how it works so you can't do anything else you've got to lift stuff and heavier than you would normally lift we were talking about you know this whole idea you can use water bottles tins etc etc at this stage of life, you need to be creating a lifelong habit. So really buy the equipment because you're, you're going to have to do it constantly right the way through from now. So it's worth investing. And she recommends you get two 3K weights, three kilogram weights, and two five kilogram weights. But you, you know where I got my weights from? The charity shop. So I was going to say, <laughs> Neil, get them out of a bin somewhere for me. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Could have done. But yes, so I got mine out of um, the charity shop. There's loads of secondhand ones to buy on uh, eBay and Facebook Marketplace like uh, as well. So do have a look in your charity shop if you're thinking about it. I'd say you probably want to start with some two kilos and then work up yes. to the three and the yeah. five. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, she. I got mine from. Uh, she got mine from the charity shop as well. But lots of sports places have clearance sales. So you know, I do think it's worth investing in it rather than getting those tins of beans out. Now, she had quite a few tips, Trish, Jacqueline. I'm going to go through them for you. Hit me, hit me with the tips. She does recommend, as you say, walking alongside this um, because walking is still impact. And actually, she says it's better than swimming or yoga. So if you're going to choose, walking is actually uh, better for you. It should go alongside your weight training. And you should 
be able to weave a bit of cardio into your weight training as you build it up. So to raise your um, heart rate. Uh, I throw a medicine ball around, Trish. You would like to be watching that. Oh, I'm glad I'm not there because you'd throw it at me. You would. I'd do a bit of Nordic skiing like this. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to keep that heart rate up as you exercise. So Jacqueline says two 20 minutes a week should be solely for weight. So okay. you can start with body weight exercises, but then you start to have to actually put in the weights. And she says it's this sort of low-hanging fruit approach. You know, What can you do today? 10 minutes, then 20 minutes, then 30 minutes, and build it up. But do not start thinking, I've got to do an hour twice a week, because that you'll just be overwhelmed and you won't do it. You've got to embed that habit. Um, you could get a PT. PT, personal trainer, personal trainer. If you get a PT or go to classes, you can personal training, you can share the costs with someone. Um, and there are lots of classes around the country, but you must be instructed to fill in the, what they call the readiness questionnaire, as I've mentioned. If they don't offer you one of those, then you shouldn't be doing it because they need to know what's going on. And you can weight train if you have high blood pressure, if you have osteoporosis, unless you've specifically been told not to do it by your GP. Your trainer or your classes, they should adapt around you. So don't talk yourself out of the weight training. <laughs> you can actually do it. What Jacqueline said, which I think is really interesting, and you've mentioned it, Trish, is that all exercise prescription, so everything we do, should be progressive. So it should be constantly building up to becoming yeah. more and more difficult. And you can build up for a challenge. You know, some people like a goal. Yes. I'm going to be doing a handstand. That's my goal. Oh, is that yours? Very good. Bit feeble at it at the moment, but I really need that upper body strength um, for swimming things I want to do. So that's my goal. Some people may not like a goal, but they might internally like to progress. Like you said, you like to see bigger weights. I like to feel that my just I'm getting to understand my muscles and all the different muscle groups and what I'm working and, and feeling the difference and feeling it during the exercises like your lats and your shoulders and, and all of that. That's kind of one of my goals, just getting more kind of in touch with my muscles, my big old muscles. Which will help with your mobility as you get older. So Jacqueline says that she teaches all her clients to deadlift because it's really important that your core mobility improves. So that whole body movement with weight, and it has to be done with, with weights, means that as you get older, you will be able to stop the dreaded fall yeah. and you'll be able to reach for things. You'll be able to have that consistency of movement and range of movement that obviously we see in our kind of older parents, they probably haven't got because they haven't done this and that might be contributing. You should probably explain deadlifting. It's not lifting a dead person into a bin. <laughs> it's lifting a bin win, is it? It's not a bin win, shoving one of those big rugs in the bin as, as Neil likes to do. It's taking a weight from the floor or near to the floor and then pulling it up your body. So it's bending over. Yeah, you've got to do it really properly with your core pulled in. So you don't do your back in as, as can be done. Yes, exactly. What Jacqueline pointed out is that often as we get older and that lots of her clients that she will see, they will be divorced. So they'll be living alone or they may be caring for parents that need quite a lot of heavy lifting and things like that. And you really need to keep all of these skills. So if you can't do it, it's going to be quite a struggle. Um, you know, it's just moving stuff in the garden, decorating things. All of that you want to be doing to, till you're much older. And really weight training is, is the key to that. Uh, also to point out recovery is important. We're from the beast yourself to death generation, yes. aren't we? <laughs> Actually, you don't want to go too hard. There's a very 
fascinating idea in management of only working at 85% so that you get the rest as well as doing rather than hurling yourself into everything at 100% and being completely exhausted. So you retain the energy to, to do your another 20 minutes again. So it was fascinating talking to Jacqueline because she, I hadn't realized how important it was. I thought it would be a luxury thing I would add on to, you know, just I would like to feel stronger, not every woman wants to, but actually it makes such a difference as you age, just from your mobility and from your range of movements. And you do, as you say, you just get better and better quite quickly, don't you? So that's uh, where we are. I have some accounts, so you can follow Jacqueline on her garden gym. There's a an account called Caroline Circuits on Instagram. It's also a website. She does some really brilliant, these are accounts that look at weight training specifically, not just fitness. So she does some great weight training for midlife. Lovely Amanda Thebes, who yes. came onto the show originally. Yes. Uh, she has a great book. She is very good on weight training. Petra Fisher's good on body weight, isn't she? And pelvic floor. There's a lady called Susan Bishop Yoga, who uh, if you want to do a handstand like me, then uh, you should be following her. And we all love Train with Joan, don't we? Oh, who, Joan. Joan's in her 70s. She is a weightlifter extraordinaire. If you haven't heard about that, then please look at Train with Joan. So do you think there is a kind of optimum combo of exercise? Did Jacqueline tell you that, what you should be doing in a week? Weights and walking, absolutely key. But you have to have some heart-raising cardio. And do you know what she recommended to go alongside it? might be your third option. Trish, go on. Dancing. Oh, dancing. Love dancing. Yeah, it's, it was re- she was really good. She does it herself. She was saying contemporary dance classes because if you're strong, what they do is work your mind. So it's a cognitive thing. So you're knowing your left from your right, working out patterns. So you're really yeah. learning new things, which is really good as you get older. So it makes sense that it's weights, walking and dancing, doesn't it? Oh, I like that. So that means, Trish, you would go from Jeff Cates to Shirley Barrett's. From Jeff to Shirley. We could see your progression, all of it, on the newsletter. Of course. I think I'm going to have to get my razor out then to deal with the beard. Jeff's beard needs to go. I thought you were going to talk to me about your beard then. And I, th- <laughs> I was about to say not. No, this Jeff's is wrong beard. on the podcast. Jeff's beard. Jeff's beard. <laughs> like to get in touch with Lorraine and I there are plenty of ways that you can do it why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram we always enjoy hearing from you our lovely listeners and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can and you can also join us on our private Facebook group which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. And here we are at Nostalgia Noodle, which doesn't have a jingle. I don't understand why we don't have a jingle for it, Trish. I might come up with a little French-sounding one. Padam, padam. Oh, you've given me some ideas. Yes, yes. (laughs) I have been watching Frasier for some time. We're re-watching it with our 12-year-old. Oh, you mean the original Frasier? Yes, because the new Frasier has just started. I haven't delved in yet. It's had incredibly good reviews, actually. But it does star 
a British star, Nicholas Lindhurst. I know. What a curveball. Only Fools and Horses. Yes. Um, what was the other thing? Good morning, Good night, sweetheart. Good night, Good sweetheart. Good night, sweetheart. Yes. That kind of man, that silly, silly man, it just made me remember the word plonker. Well, yes, exactly. I mean, I think that was one of the catchphrases, wasn't it, in Only Fools and Horses? But um, it did take us back. Obviously, Butterflies, Wendy Craig, we love that. He was Adam, his son. Have a bit of a soft spot for Nicholas, haven't we? He always plays, as you say, plonker type roles. And it also reminded me of the word Wally. Do you remember Wally? Actually... Do you know what? You're wearing a Where's Wally t-shirt today, Lorraine. I am wearing my stripy Where's Wally t-shirt. <laughs> Where's Wally? <laughs> Wally's, plonkers. Wally's and plonkers. You do not hear those words anymore, do you? I might um, weave it into the conversation this weekend to see what my teenagers yes. think of it. You know, sometimes they, they take it and use it, but I, I don't know if they'll use plonker or Wally. No, but anyway, Nicholas. Yeah, he's back and we're happy about that. Well, we're feeling more Lovely after talking to India and we're feeling stronger after all that weightlifting chat, aren't we? So pumping iron. Good place to end the show, I would say. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Please do tune in again next week and we will bring you more news of our newsletter. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.